Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, we're talking to National Dragsters Kevin McKenna about the U.S. Nationals and sportsman competition. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. We're talking Indy and we're getting ready to set up Gainesville. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey, everybody, welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. This week, I guess, would be like the double Insider Podcast, because we're going to talk to NHRA's National Dragster Senior Editor, Kevin McKenna, and we're going to talk to him about Pro Stock Motorcycle, we're going to talk to him about the U.S. Nationals, Sportsman Competition, and, of course, the upcoming Gator Nationals, as it is a week between races, if you will, kind of an off weekend for NHRA competition. There is a lot of preparation going on around the country. Been speaking to some racers, kind of figuring out what their plans are, what their plans are going to be. And um, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear what other what people are thinking and what they're doing. I know that uh, some of the teams are, you know, handling their business as far ahead as Dallas and Houston, um, getting themselves set up for, you know, hospitality commitments and other things of that nature. So it is going to be interesting. Uh, finally, moving ourselves away from racing at Lucas Oil Raceway Indianapolis. Last week, we talked to our champs in the pro stock and top fuel categories in the form of Sean Langdon and Erica Enders, and it was two really good conversations. And, you know, I was thinking about catching up with a couple of the other winners, but I feel like that may be great for next week as we really set up Gainesville, try to talk to those winners in some of the other categories to figure out if they feel momentum coming into Gainesville. It is such a huge swing. You know, we've gone from these four races in the same spot going to the same airport, staying at the same hotel, going into the same routine. And it, and it really did turn into a routine. And it's one of the things that I don't think a lot of us fall into um, on the road, maybe year over year. But, you know, we do tend to stay in the same places or whatnot. And of course, races are always contested on the weekends, if you will. But we've never really had a scenario where you find yourself doing the same things over and over again and going racing on Sundays as well. So uh, breaking that routine will be interesting because what we know about you know human nature and human psychology is when we get into a situation where we find routines, where we have repetition, um, human beings get really good at that. They get good at repeating and they refine what they do. And then when we break those uh, routines up, when we break that kind of consistency up, that is when we see people either excel or sometimes they make mistakes. And we'll find out who will excel and who will make mistakes when we get down to the Gator Nationals. Been a lot of chatter about the world of NHRA drag racing over the last couple of weeks. Uh, News has been coming left, right, and center, whether we're talking about uh, announcements like the Tony Schumacher six race deal, whether we're talking about the uh, the hubbub about the uh, reduction in the winner's purses for the pro categories. It has been uh, it has been a lot of stuff going on and a lot of chatter being going on in the Internet. Um, the good news is if uh, it has not come out by the time you listen to this podcast, uh, it will be out very shortly. Uh, an interview with Glenn Cromwell, where we touch on a lot of the big topics of the day, a lot of the big topics of the season. We talk about stuff for the future. We talk about uh, really a lot of the things people have been discussing. Um, and, you know, not all these things are the rosy, happy things. Uh, it would be great if we can have, you know, super happy conversations. But 2020 has not exactly been the year of the super happy conversation as much as it's been the year of the realistic conversation, as much as it's been the year of the planning conversation and kind of um, really testing people's mettle in so many different ways. So we're going to talk to Glenn Cromwell. And uh, again, if that has not 
been published on the internet yet. It sure will be soon, and I'd encourage everybody to listen because it's pretty fascinating talk with Glenn, and we do touch on some topics that uh, maybe those of you at home listening wouldn't think we would talk about. So it's uh, a really good thing. Uh, As we know, the season's going to end in Las Vegas this year. That is the plan anyway on Halloween weekend. Also, as we know, the SEMA show has been canceled for 2020, which is unfortunate. And the day before I recorded this podcast, it was announced that the PRI show in Indianapolis that normally happens in December has also been canceled. Um, That shows uh, a staple, you know, normally the uh, second week in December. It's a show that has had a couple different locations over the years. It was in Orlando, rather it was in Indiana for many years to start with then moved to Orlando for several years and came back uh, to Indiana once the new kind of convention center and all the cool stuff that was uh, done in downtown Indianapolis to make it a more, let's call it, convention-friendly city. And it certainly is, in a lot of ways, a more important show for drag racing and for racers than SEMA. SEMA is a huge industry show, of course. Everybody's there. NHRA is there. Uh, We have our stage. We do interviews and kind of talk to people that are not just racers. We talk to really everybody. It's a, it's a fun thing to do at that event because it really is a great cross-section of people in the high-performance industry. It's not just a collection of drag racers. And even at PRI, we talk to people from different disciplines of racing. We talk to a lot of the partners that develop uh, race car technology, parts and pieces. We check up with the teams. And it is almost funny in a, in a weird way to look back and remember some of those conversations we had at PRI in 2019 regarding this upcoming 2020 season. And, you know, for so many people and for so many reasons, it was a season that uh, a lot of people were very jacked up about. We're always jacked up about a new season. But this was going to be a really breakout year. I mean, we were talking to people on that stage that were buying, you know, shops. They They were looking for new shop space. They were looking to expand this, that, and the other thing. And who knew? <laughs> who knew that in December we were um, about two months away? We're about a month away from really getting our dose of reality regarding what was now, what's now known as the coronavirus or COVID nineteen. And then it was February when things began to get very serious, and then it was March when everything stopped. And so that that really that window between December. It really wasn't even a month. I mean, December to kind of mid-January was that blissful point where we had no idea what was coming. And I know a lot of people look back and they think, oh, man, I got sick after I went to PRI. Maybe I caught COVID-19 at the show or something like that. And it sounds a little far-fetched to me. I think anytime you're in the winter and you're among 100,000 people plus and everybody's got a cold, you're probably going to get a cold. But um Anyway, unfortunate the PRI show will not be happening this year, and for so many reasons. It's a great way to to say hello to people you haven't seen. Um, For the media side of us, it's great to check out new parts and pieces. Obviously, it's a place where sponsorship deals and team deals and all kinds of stuff technically or typically gets announced, and so that's not going to happen this year. And we will find out how the industry adapts. We'll find out how the industry, I don't want to say changes, but certainly how the industry accepts the lack of a SEMA show and the lack of a PRI this year. It'll be interesting, and as it always is, but we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves as that's all the way in December, and we are going to be talking about what's coming up here in just late September, which will be the 51st running of the Amelie Oil NHRA Gator Nationals. going to be a great show down there in Gainesville, as it always is, expecting a socially distanced and limited but pretty sizable crowd at that race. It typically 
blows the doors off when we don't have uh, pandemics to deal with. And I know that uh, ticket sales will be limited per the agreements made and per the protocols put in place by the NHRA and the folks in Florida. But uh, expecting uh, expecting great things and expecting, unlike other sports, not to have to manufacture our own crowd noise. We will have crowd noise at the Gator Nationals that will not be artificially added to the show. Let's talk a little bit about the, the U.S. Nationals before we get on the line with Kevin McKenna. Really, uh, we touched on the professional categories last week, and one of the things I'm going to talk to Kevin about is Pro Stock Motorcycle and how we just continue to see uh, separate winners or different winners. Eight races, eight winners. First time in the history of the category it has ever happened. There has been seven winners in eight races, but there has never been, or there has been fresh winners in seven races straight, but there has never been fresh winners in eight races straight, which is exactly what we have. And of course, I don't mean first time winners. I just mean a different person winning the last eight races. And while they have not had as many races as the other mellow yellow categories, the points uh, in Pro Stock Motorcycle are hilariously close. I mean, it is something that we'll get into with Kevin. But when we look at the Pro Stock Motorcycle standings and we see how far back we have to go to look at any separation, um, it's Scotty Polichuk right now leading the points. You have to go all the way back to number eight, Chris Bostic, who's 97 points back before we even get to somebody who is basically more than a race out. The number 10 uh, bike right now is Steve Johnson, 114 back. That's number 10. The top six points earners are separated by 47 points. From one to six, 47 points. Will somebody else step up and win a race? Steve Johnson's certainly capable of, of winning a race. Angie Smith had a bike qualified number one at Indy. She's got a bike that could win a race, and we'll get into that with Kevin McKenna when he comes on. U.S. Nationals also provided an incredible platform for sportsman drag racing. That's going to be the other side of our conversation with Kevin. About 900 cars total on the grounds. Uh, about 800 and, about 800 of them were sportsman cars, if not a little bit more. And the number of days the race was contested over was shorter. The length of the days that the event was contested over, far longer. They got the job done. The race was finished on Sunday night, but it was grueling, and Kevin was stationed in the media center for most of that effort. So without further ado, I think we should move on to our guest on this week's NHRA Insider Podcast. Please welcome Senior Editor of NHRA's National Dragster Magazine, Kevin McKenna. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. How's your day going? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Getting uh, myself shaped up here, getting some stuff put together for Gainesville, but want to really kind of put a point on uh, Indy and talk specifically to you about a couple things that tend to be your specialties, which would be the pro stock motorcycle category and, of course, the uh, sportsman side of things. So let's talk a little bit about pro stock motorcycle first and... You know, once again at Indy, this class delivers, and it has delivered for some time, but it's just one exciting moment after another for these guys and girls. It is. It's amazing. And the class that you sometimes think has been dominated by a particular brand or a particular individual, we've had the kind of parody lately that we've never, ever seen. Yeah, what do you have any idea or what lens you you talk to a lot of these riders and crew chiefs? What is lending itself to the parody that we have seen? And you know, we got some notes from Bob Fry uh, for our preparation for the upcoming race, and he said, "Hey, this is the first time in the history of this class you've had eight different winners in the last eight races. So, what is the root of this?" Yeah, isn't that amazing? You've had uh, you know again eight, eight different winners in the last eight races, going back well into to late last year, but. You've also had new winners. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, last year going to Pomona, 
uh, the Gianna Salinas deal, a, a bit of a fluke. I think anyone would tell you that. Uh, but then you, you have two people this year in Ryan Ayler and Scotty Palachek, who you could almost define as overdue. Yeah. Uh, certainly in Scotty's case, uh, very overdue. Um, you know, I don't know. Does that signal a changing of the guard? Not necessarily, but um, it does show you that, that there's uh, a, a pathway to a competitive program, uh, specifically with Ryan Ayler. You know, they do all their own stuff. They've, they've kind of taken on the project of, you know, building their own bikes and engines and, and obviously riding and tuning, um, which, you know, to me, that sort of thing is great for the class. Oh, it absolutely is. And I think the other thing that's so interesting is there's multiple paths now to win to win in this category. You have factory back support like we saw with Angel. You mentioned Ryan Ayler doing it themselves. We see Scotty Polachek on a on a part of a, a ride from Matt Smith Racing. Uh, if we go back to Karen Stouffer, of course, that's kind of their own program. So it Jerry Savoie, you know, everybody that has won in these eight instances really has done it in a little bit different way, which makes it even maybe a second layer of crazy. Yeah, and, and here's maybe the most amazing part of that statistic. You, you look at the, the last, you know, the, those eight winners, one of them is not Eddie Krawick, you know, a, <laughs> right. a, a, four, a, a four-time world champion who's on arguably, you know, if not the best bike in the class, certainly one of the best, and he just threw just uh, really all you can call bad luck. Uh, he's now going on two years since his last win, which, you know, th- that's every bit as crazy as some of the uh, surprising first-time winners we've had. Yeah, and I- I'd honestly like to see this streak go to nine, and he would be uh, – he obviously comes into every one of these races as somebody who has a consideration to win, and Gainesville uh, should be no difference in that. And, you know, I-, I talked a little bit about this at the at the beginning of the show in the monologue, but, you know it- – this is going to be a very strange breaking of the routine for really the whole tour. We've been obviously at the same racetrack. We've been eating at the same restaurant, sleeping in the same hotel room beds, in your case, sleeping at home. Um, and now we kind of break ourselves out of that in Gainesville. So it almost seems like the stage is now set for another first time winner just because of the break in routine. It's going to throw some people off. Um, it, it is. But, but again, to your point, you could very easily see Eddie becoming the ninth. Yeah, um, different winner. Uh, I think a guy. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine someone like Steve Johnson. He's had a really good bike. Gainesville has been a track historically that's been exceptional for him. Yeah. Um, so, so again, th- this could continue. Um, you know, you also, if, if we're gonna, I'm sure at some point here, talk about the points. Um, it, there, there's a pretty good log jam there. So this is an, also an opportunity going to Gainesville for somebody to separate themselves from the pack. Um, you know, maybe one of the riders that's that's won previously this year. Yeah, I mean, you got to go all the way back, I believe, to the sixth place of Ayler right now to be 47. You know, you're, you're back six places, and you're only 47 points out of the lead. And obviously, a function of not quite having as many races as the other categories have had, but also a function of this, you know, musical chair style uh, of Wally gathering <laughs> that everybody's getting a turn and. You know, we've we've talked about it with every other category, and you know we don't have that many races left. So if somebody is going to kind of try to grab hold of this thing, it almost seems like if if a single rider can have two really strong races, they can almost set themselves up to to kind of own the rest of the season. But who knows? Oh no, for, for sure. I mean, you, you look at it. You know, five races left. Hopefully, uh, I think we're all praying we get there. Yeah, uh, that's tw- that's twenty rounds. Uh, it, it's time to make hay. Uh, if, if you are anywhere in the top 10, um, you know, I, I know historically some teams maybe save their best parts for, you know, the countdown for late. That's not happening this year. If you've got good stuff in the trailer, it needs to be in the bike. And, uh, you know, you need to put your best foot forward at Gainesville and 
the other four races we have going forward. Yeah, it's really going to be something else. And I guess the other thing I look at right now is, you know, Scotty Polachek is leading the points, finally gets his first win, has it happened at the U.S. Nationals. And, you know, can we, I guess we can't not talk about Scotty as a potential championship contender. Really, we've always wanted the guy to win a race, but I'm not sure we've ever been able to talk about Scotty as a guy who has the, the wherewithal and the horsepower to actually win a title. Well, and the amazing thing, Scotty didn't just win Indy, he dominated. Yeah. He had uh, almost certainly the best bike uh, all three days. He almost ran the table. You know, had he not gone red by a thousand in the uh, Mickey Thompson pro bike battle, he would have won that. And you would have looked at him as, uh, you know, a, a clean sweep. Number one qualifier goes 200 miles an hour and potentially wins both races. Uh, if you can maintain that kind of momentum um, as the points leader, you, you are definitely the favorite i think to finish the job and who knows what kind of confidence he's going to have going forward after finally getting his first win yeah it's a great moment for him and certainly one of the good guys out there and just um you always want to see a guy like that who has really uh dedicated himself to to bettering himself as a rider to being competitive to finally have that breakthrough moment and it was you know one of those rare occasions where i think every single person involved in a pro stock motorcycle category was ecstatic for the guy i mean maybe not his final round competitor but honestly i think everybody else out there you want to see a guy like that succeed yeah and, and that extends you know there's the old rule about no cheering in the press room but occasionally uh, <laughs> there's some there's some there's some minor exceptions to that and and and, and really everybody that that i was around for the final uh, was genuinely happy to see Scotty f- finally get it done. Um, and I think I have not talked to Andrew Hines since then, but honestly, I, I mean, nobody likes losing a final, especially an indie final. But um, I-, I believe he's genuinely happy for Scotty as well. I mean, he probably wished there was somebody else in the other lane. But, um, you know, we all wanted, we would have hated the thought of him having what was really a great career and getting it done at least once. But, uh, you know, I-, I personally think that uh, he- he's going to, uh, uh, he's got a few more of these in him before he's done. Yeah, and Andrew, uh, you know, you you know him well. I, I know him pretty well. He's a guy who definitely has um, interesting perspective on really uh, the whole sport, but really uh, in terms of his own category a lot. And I think he understands the value of what's been going on. Obviously, you know, his team, he needs his team to succeed. He needs himself to, to personally succeed. But I think he also understands the value of – seeing these fresh faces or faces we have not seen in a long time in a winter circle because um, you know as well as i do when there are people at home that have gotten discouraged that maybe raced years ago and got away from it and now they start seeing other people succeeding and doing it in these different ways that is the type of thing that legitimately leads to a growth organic style growth in a category uh, it does and we're already seeing it um you know we, we know that uh, Corey reed is coming back next yep. year I and mean, he ran he ran indy Ran but, well, ran uh, you know, well too. Yeah, yeah. R- ran well, but but they also have a Suzuki program that they're going to debut in 2021. Two bikes with him and Joey Gladstone, um, you know, currently being prepared, Advance and Heinz. So so that's that's a nice addition to the class. And I think you've got this new four valve cylinder head that's currently legal. Um, Chris Bostic is is like the first one out with it. But I think once that combination proves itself, you'll see other teams, most likely Jerry Savoie, switch to that, and that should also allow um if those bikes are as fast as we think they'll probably get hit with a little weight which would be a good thing to allow a heavier rider to get on a suzuki and be competitive so that that potentially opens the door for uh 
you know, maybe someone who's, who's not a flyweight to come in and uh, get, get on a bike and, and honestly be competitive. Man, let's let's change gears a little bit here and talk about uh, the sportsman side of the U.S. Nationals, which was uh, hair raising in every aspect. You know, you got close to nine hundred total cars. About eight hundred of them we we would consider you know sportsman cars of the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. On top of all of it, you have the Jegs All Stars race that you got to run, as well as the eliminators and everything else. I know I was uh, inspired when I saw the schedule. I was not necessarily convinced that it would be done before Monday, but lo and behold. <laughs> There were long days, but the but the race was you know was completed on time. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. You know, we, we we've had the, the previous indie events we, we ran three times, but nothing felt like the U.S. Nationals uh, until you get there and you see on Friday or Thursday actually the pits full. You know, both sides. Uh, at that point, it sort of hits you that that this is the U.S. Nationals, and and, and I think that from top to bottom. Uh, the competitors there all sort of felt the same thing. I mean, where else are you going to get 162 super comp cars? You know, there, there, there's, there's not a field like that. You know, I know they have a big one, uh, the Vegas points meet the double header in Topeka, but you know, it's been years since we've seen that kind of participation. And, uh, you know, really that was a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, it was, uh, in its own way, you know, pretty, uh, heartwarming, I guess, to, to drive into that place and, and have it feel, the way it should, I guess, you know, like you said, I mean, the, the, the first three events you were in there were incredibly necessary and incredibly important for their own reasons. But that one was like, that one was really, a, um, if nothing else, just kind of a great reminder of the, the spectacle that that race actually is. And, um, one of the things I thought that was kind of cool is speaking of spectacles is that we didn't have a lot of the pageantry that we normally have because of, you know, social distancing and all the other stuff we got to do. There was a lot of the the pomp and circumstances we didn't normally see, but in a way that almost added to the racing because of the fact there was real no distraction from what was going on on the racetrack. I mean, starting every morning at seven o'clock in the morning, they were running cars, whether that, whether it was foggy or whether it was moonlight or whatever, whatever it was, um, they were going. And, and it's just, it was amazing that these competitors were able to do what they did over the course of three days, those three days averaging 16 to 18 hour days themselves. Yeah, it's funny. I live about two miles from the racetrack, and, uh, uh, you know, depending on which way the wind blows, sometimes I can hear the cars run, sometimes I can't. But uh, Thursday morning at 7 a.m., uh, I was actually in the shower and could hear super, 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 super street time trials very clearly. You know, sound travels, sound travels better at night. It was still pitch black. And uh, uh, that, yeah, I, I don't know that we've ever had an indie where we ran with the lights on in the morning as well uh, as at night. Um, but again, it, it, it speaks to, you know, uh, how hardcore uh, you had, you know, the, the huge car count of almost 900 cars. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, I think it was fantastic to have it all done Sunday night, wrapped up in a, in a timely manner. I mean, we, we got down a little bit late, but uh, more or less on schedule. It, it was uh, It was a good time. Megan Meyer uh, has announced that she's going to be stepping away, uh, you know, from a driving role. I think she's still going to be involved in drag racing to some degree, probably on the kind of media PR side of things, marketing side, but she's no longer going to be an active participant in the race car. And she's obviously wants to win a world championship again, go out on top. But I think her performance uh, and the performance of her crew and her dad will long live in the lore of that race. You know, 5097, 5090, you break a record that stood for 13 years. That is big time stuff. 
Yeah, you think you think the price tag for that car for next year went up a little bit after Indy? <laughs> yeah, the line, the, yeah, the people are taking those deli tickets to try to get a to try to get the seat. Yeah, yeah, for sale, make offer, but uh, don't don't come in cheap. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, that, that's amazing. I mean, from time to time we do see some really shocking performances, but I don't think anybody saw that coming. No, um, you know, the fact that it has been 13 years since the record was set and. You know, typically these cars are running high teens, and those are considered great runs. And then just, just to bomb it by a tenth. Um, the only thing I can remember is I believe it was 1988 when they debuted the PSI Supercharger, and uh, Gary Southern came in and, and won Indy, and he had a tenth on the field. Um, but that was different. That was a new piece of technology that came in. Um, this, I, you know, I, I wish I knew what uh, the Meyer family had done to produce this, but. Uh, 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 amazing whatever they figured out uh, it's uh it's kind of the, the shocking thing we haven't seen in a while on the run when she went 5097 as soon as the car made it past the tree randy meyer put his fist in the air because it was uh, he knew obviously what was what was up for that and uh, as soon as the car actually made it past the point of what he expected it to do uh he was super excited and you know that was one thing and it was uh, jaw dropping and everyone was like wow and then to double down on your point not only did nobody expect the first one, nobody expected the second one. No. No, and, and, and even the final, I mean, you, you got to feel for Josh Hart where, you know, you, you, you win the semis and you, you need to find a tent somewhere. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and then, of course, this also begs the question, whatever they've done to that car, um, does it also find its way onto their team car with Julian Atas for the next race? And then how long before somebody else figures it out and um, follows the lead? You know? Yeah, and I guess and then the, 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 the third question becomes, is there going to be some sort of intervention on the tech side? Because, you know, I, I it's one thing to have one car doing it, and I think it becomes difficult to make a rule change, if you will, on one car, especially if they're not employing any sort of technology that then other people don't have. You know, that that's when it becomes kind of weird. Does does the entire pack of A-Fuel cars get some sort of a lead trophy to speak of, or does this stay, and then if somebody else does it, it becomes a problem? I think that's uh, you know, these are questions that only the tech department can answer, but there's a reason that that other record stood for 13 years. And it's because when Reichert went the whatever, five ten or whatever, five, whatever the number was 13 or whatever it happened to be, mm-hmm. um, the detective barber went, yeah, that's way quick enough. And now we've gone into the O's, which would seem like there's gotta be some conversation happening. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know that they have a problem with the class going five O's, but, um, you know, you are still trying to maintain some parity between Absolutely. the injected nitro cars and the blown cars, and clearly the blown cars can't get there. No. And um, I don't know, you know, again, I, years ago I had an opportunity to go work in the tech department, um, and, th- and then I woke up and, and said, no, I, I don't really, you know, as, as a job, you know, in, in, in my current position, when I call people, uh, when I call racers on the phone, they're generally happy to speak to me because it means they probably want to race. Um, I, I didn't really want to be the tech guy that, that sometimes has to deliver news that isn't as well received. Um, yeah, no, uh, I totally get uh, that. Well, but, but again, I think, I, you know, to be serious for a second, I think the tech department has historically done a fantastic job with the alcohol classes. I yeah. think they do a great job with ProMod. Uh, I think they are, you know, factory stock is a work in progress, but I think they're going to get it. So, they, they have a lot of familiarity with maintaining parity in, com- in between certain combinations. And 
you know, whatever they decide. Again, we have no idea what the Meyer team is doing. Yeah. Uh, if, if that's a part that they would make commercially available to other teams at some point, if it's just a, a tuning philosophy change, who knows? Um, but, you know, it's, I think in the short term that they, they will probably be able to enjoy a significant advantage if they can repeat that. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was awesome, and it's just again when you see, to to see a run like that made at that style of event, I think makes it even better. So you know, and and then we look up and down the rest of the you know we look up and down the rest of the sportsman categories, and you know we look through the Jags All Stars and you know Slade Cummings, Trevor Larson. It's just amazing when you see these names and these particular racers who are able to just dial it up in these situations. I mean, Cummings, I think that was his eighth career final or something like that in the Jags All Stars, and Larson, of course doubled up at the thing a few years ago winning two categories mm-hmm. i mean that's a guy who lives for that race yeah and if you're a sportsman racer don't you think to yourself my god india is hard enough to win as it is <laughs> right, now you're going to bring right. 80 guys from all over the country you know a lot of which might not have otherwise come um anybody that did anything significant at indy this year i think you, you've got an absolute right to be proud because you know we hear it every year the best of the best you had it at indy this year top top to bottom Every sportsman class, uh, you know, anybody who was anybody was there. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that to me, that's how Indy should be. I, you know, I don't know, you know, going forward, I don't imagine the Jags All-Stars will return to Indy next uh, year. Yeah, I don't think so I guess yeah. it remains to be seen, but, but it was certainly a welcome addition this year. Yeah, it was great, and it, obviously it was something that needed to happen in terms of what the schedule was and looked like, and, um, you know, hopefully – uh, when you know some sort of normalcy returns, trust me, I didn't hate. I certainly did not dislike having it at the U.S. Nationals um, for the reasons you stated. David Rampey came back and ran Indy again because he wanted to try to win. Uh, you know, take one last shot at the Jegs All Stars. So to see him back in a race car again was great. Um, and it just—I don't know. Uh, to your point, it did elevate an already elevated situation. And um, yeah, it was, it was great. We just actually made the Lucas oil uh, drag racing series show the other day, including the coverage of the Jags all-stars. And you look back and we're, we're watching these runs and it's like, everybody was just sawing each other off at the knees on the starting line. You know, guys like Jeremy Mason, defending world champ comes and wins mm-hmm. and locks it up for his division. I mean, it's again, it's just another example of somebody that is great and then finds a little bit more in that scenario. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's funny. You, you look at the, the results from there. There was a time when Division 5 was kind of the laughing stock. I mean, they, they were the last team to win a Jags All-Stars overall team title. Um, it, it took them more than 20 years to do it. Um, now they've turned into a bit of a powerhouse. Yeah. You look at some, some of the teams that are uh, – some of the racers that represent Division 5, and uh, these are world champions. These are perennial top 10 guys. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty solid there. Yeah, it's great. And uh, one last topic to broach with you. You mentioned it, and I think we should talk about it too because you spend time on this beat as well as the Pro Mod category. And obviously the race is unbelievable, and we saw a couple of very, very scary incidents, the Chris Thorne situation and Steve Matuzic, two really different scenarios. Um, I don't know if and when we're going to see Thorne back again this season. I do know that we are going to see Matuzic back uh, basically uninterrupted. Wow. Um, that's well, certainly good news to know that, uh, it hasn't, uh, you know, he's had a, a, a bit of run of bad luck and it hasn't discouraged him, uh, you know, pro mod, it, it is what it is. I think when you build one of those cars, you know what you're getting into, yeah. um, they, they command the utmost respect. Um, and you know, they, they, they can and will bite you at times. Um, but, but it is still, it's an amazing class. It, it is, 
Uh, I think the parity, even out of the gate this year with the new Pro Charger combination, things are pretty close. You know, we haven't seen an adjustment yet. I'm not sure we're gonna um, anytime soon. And you know, again, that's you know, as we talked about earlier with with the bikes, that's what breeds competition. When, when people feel like they can build a car and come in and be competitive, regardless of the combination, they're going to do it. And, uh, you know, hopefully that bodes well for, uh, the future of the class. And you've also, you know, they've only had a couple races. So as far as the championship there, that's still very much wide open. Yeah, it is. And, and we saw Stevie Fast Jackson f- find his uh, sea leg, so to speak, uh, wins the U.S. Nationals for the second time in his career. And uh, wasn't looking too good for him to start things off, but he made a, a, a quick turn. And the fact that we haven't seen any one particular racer or team dominate yet uh, means that it's still going to be wide open to the finish line. And we will see pro mods at every one of our remaining races except for Houston. So they will be in Gainesville, St. Louis, Dallas and Vegas so it's very much uh, a whole bunch of racing left to go for them as well and I guess the last point I bring up on the pro mod side of things and that you just mentioned is you know we had a final with two nitrous cars in it and you know this was something that how many I mean it's almost a perennial topic that oh the nitrous cars can't win anymore can't do anything and it's like well here they are with a pair of them in the final not a pro charger car to be seen that late in the game and there's always the well once these pro charger guys get it figured out all the rest of us are in trouble I feel like they've had a while to figure it out, and I've not seen one single person. I've seen Khaled make some really good runs, but I've not seen Khaled make any runs that that set me back in my chair and think, uh-oh, nobody else is going to be able to compete. Well, first, who actually said or thinks that the nitrous cars were going to be uncompetitive? Well, hang on. We, we know who says that <laughs> repeatedly. Um, but but, but uh, did anybody really think that? Um, they, the nitrous cars have obviously been really good all year. Um, and to your point on the pro charger combination, yeah, it's still sort of in its infancy. Uh, I don't think anybody has hit the sweet spot with it. Uh, you may well going forward, you know, we're not sure how it's going to react, uh, in the fall now that, you know, going forward, some of our events will probably have cooler weather. Yeah. Let's see how it shakes out there. Uh, for sure. There's more left there. And, you know, I, I would fully expect somebody to, to unload, uh, a monster of a run here in, in one of the next couple of races. Um, and, you know, and if that happens and it's a significant advantage, I'm sure that, uh, that they'll deal with it appropriately. But, you know, still, you still, as I said, have a great amount of parity. And I think top to bottom, you know, any one of the 16 cars that, that qualifies could, could certainly be the last one standing on Sunday. That's a fact, and uh, I think we're all waiting to see what exactly Gainesville weather is going to be in late September, something we've never experienced, and uh, we'll find out kind of who that uh, benefits. Who knows? It could be almost a mirror image of what we normally see in March, maybe a little bit more well, uh, temperature to it. So, Well, I, I've, exper- I've experienced it. I used to live down there and uh, uh, lived in Gainesville for five years. We used to have the, the Summit ET finals in September, late September, so I know, but again, it's Florida. It's unpredictable. Uh, it could be 85 degrees. It could be 65. Um, So uh, we'll let you know when we get there in two weeks. (laughs) Sounds good, man. Kevin McKenna, senior editor, NHRA's National Dragster Magazine. Thanks for getting us up to speed on the sportsman action on Pro Stock Motorcycle and chatting about ProMod. Looking forward to seeing you down in Florida. And uh, until then, uh, keep yourself occupied. Deal. Always happy to do it, Brian. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Thanks.
Always awesome to catch up with Kevin McKenna, great guy, and certainly somebody who has been around the sport of drag racing for decades, knows the players, knows the ins and the outs, and has had a lot of experience behind his reporting. Looking forward to hanging out with Kevin, and those of you that are coming to the Amelie Oil NHRA Gator Nationals being contested September 25, 6, and 7 down there at Gainesville Raceway in Gainesville, Florida. It's going to be great. I mentioned earlier, it's going to be a reduced crowd per the rules, but it's still going to be a big crowd. It's one of the largest drag strips we visit all year long, and I guess technically would be about the largest drag strip we visit all year long. Can't wait to see a lot of smiling faces down there. Can't wait to hear some crowd noise and can't wait to contest the Gator Nationals for the 51st time. We'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We continue to tell you stories from inside the NHRA, from drivers to journalists to even the personalities that deliver you the news on a week-to-week basis. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll be back with you next time.